psalmist says, we've heard with our ears, O oh God. Our fathers have told us what you did in days long ago. And he goes on from there. What Jesus did in days long ago. Can you ponder that just for a moment with your eyes shut? Focus on Jesus tonight. We sang Christ alone. Focus on him alone. His sacrifice. His blood. His merciful grace. And his love for you. In Christ alone, we stand here tonight. In his power and strength. Held in the beauty of his holiness. Oh Lord Jesus, our hearts are filled with gratitude and praise to you. We praise you for the day that we met you at an altar in a church far from here. And you removed the darkness. You cleansed the sin. You remade a soul within. You gave life in place of death. Hope in place of despair. He brought purpose to our aimlessness. Tonight, Jesus, we praise you. And we renew our faith commitment to you tonight and we confess with our lips what we believe in our hearts to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. You know there are many needs in this room and we ask that you bless, help, fill each one. But do more than that tonight. Holy Spirit, come around this room to every heart, every soul, every person. Look beyond the superficial and do your work in the deepest parts of our hearts. And make us, before we leave this room tonight, a little more like you and a little more fit for your heaven. Bless Dr. Russell as he comes tonight to lead us to the throne of grace through the ministry of the word. Speak through him powerfully to our hearts and help us to respond with faith, with a yes to Jesus. We give our hour to you now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you, here you are in school, and you may have forgotten this, but your professors are also in school, have been in school, continue to stay in school. <laughs> My wife says to me sometimes, are you ever going to graduate? <laughs> but one of the things that we all have in common, regardless of what level of education we're in, is one of the, well, experiences that we all have when we're in the educational process is we get to take tests. And don't you just love them? Or, oh yeah, sure you do. By the end of this sermon you will, I promise. As a matter of fact, if you're like me, you've had at least one professor who loved to give what he called pop 
quizzes, you know? And, and if you've ever been there, I remember those times when usually it's okay, but sure enough, I come to class and he gives a pop quiz and that's the one day I didn't read my book. <laughs> but you know, tests don't just happen in school. They also happen in life. And, and when you think about it, most of the tests of life, when they come away, they're like pop quizzes. We don't really get a warning. Whether it was the pressure test with the various pressures of life, or the people test where we often experience the greatest disappointments, or the persistence test where we struggle to keep our commitments, or the priorities test where we really struggle to keep God first place in our lives. So as most of you have experienced, just like I have, tests simply become not only a normal part of the educational process, but they become a normal part of life as well. When a pop quiz happens at life, it's not about whether or not we read the book, but the fact of the matter is we haven't been in the book, we're not going to be ready for the tests of life, and when those pop quizzes come, if we're not ready, it's like, oh man, now what, right? Panic, fear, anxiety. Well, some good news. Those pop quiz life tests catch us by surprise, but nothing catches God by surprise. Say that with me. Nothing catches God by surprise. You see, he already knows the test is coming, and he's already ready to pour out all the grace and strength we need to pass the test. And the good news is this. God never gives us a test so that we'll fail. He gives us a test so that we'll do better. God's not interested in us failing. He's interested in us. He wants us to experience victory. Well, the key to passing all these tests is faith, believing God and relying on his power and not our own. Tonight, I'm going to be preaching from 1 Kings 18. Last night, Pastor Cato preached from 1 Kings 19. These two chapters actually, though, go to They're one kind of continuous story. And in chapter 18, we're going to see, wow, Elijah not only passes the test, but he gets like an A plus, man. You couldn't pass the test any better than he did. And then in chapter 19, after such a great triumph, he falters. But before the end of chapter 19, he's rescued, he's revived, he's renewed, and he passes the test again. Now here's the key. When we get to chapter 19 where Jezebel threatens to kill him and he goes, that's it, man, I've had all I can handle. We need to remember that we learned in chapter 18 that after the big test, he runs for miles to the next village ahead of the chariots and the horses. He gets there. He's been on an emotional high beyond anything anybody's probably ever known. And suddenly, he experiences the same thing that every human being experiences. Emotional stress and fatigue challenge our faith. The interesting thing in chapter 19, as Pastor Cadle pointed out last night, when the angel came to meet his need, he didn't say, well, you don't deserve it. I can't believe you blew it, but I'm going to feed you anyway. He just dealt with his fatigue and his hunger. And the second time, he dealt with his fatigue and his hunger. And he strengthened him so that when God met with him to change his perspective so he could once again succeed and pass the test, he was prepared. And just because you falter doesn't mean you don't have faith. You know what it means? It means you're human. And it means that you just weren't quite prepared or ready for what you were about to face. So when these tests come, 
and we're all going to be tested. It's a fact of life. It's in the testing times that we learn this. We learn to lean on the Lord. We become spiritually stronger. We grow in our knowledge and wisdom and faith, and we develop Christ-like character. Now, in other words, the benefits of the test far outweigh the fear of the test. Why? Listen to Peter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. James wrote in chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And then Paul wrote in Romans 5, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. So I'll say it again. The benefits of being tested far outweigh the fear of being tested. And just look at the end results. Now none of us in here for in our right mind would say, I don't want a stronger faith. <laughs> I don't want to be more like Jesus. I don't want to grow and be mature. Um, well, we might be tempted to say that, but we know that's really not the right thing to say. The truth is, if we really believe that God was allowing all this for our good, and believe that what we just read in Scripture was true, we'd walk closely with the Lord, stay in the book, and be ready for life's pop quizzes. Amen? Amen? Yeah. That was underwhelming. Amen? <laughs> now, let me tell you, I'm from Tennessee, so if you want me to get done in time, and I ask for an amen, you better give it to me. Amen. <laughs> well, let me say this, and I want you to read this with me. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Say it again. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Because you see, when we are tested, we discover that faith is not some warm, fuzzy feeling. It's an uncompromising conviction that God is true to His Word and He will keep His promises and do what He says He'll do. You know, faith is like a toothbrush. Everybody ought to have one, but you only ought to use your own. God tests our faith for three reasons. One, to show us whether or not our faith is genuine and strong. To strengthen our faith so that we can live victoriously in the midst of life's trials. And to rescue us in our trials so that He is revealed in our lives and testimonies. You see, when God allows us to be tested, He already has a plan to rescue us. He already has a plan to deliver us. He already has a plan to help us pass the test. So now let's look into the Word of God in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 22 through 39. God's given us a great example of a man who allowed his faith to be tested. This man's name is Elijah. Now you're probably familiar with the story of Elijah and his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. According, did I say that right, Dr. King? Where are you? Oh, he's not here tonight. But it's Baal. We all grew up saying Baal, but that's not right. Okay, it's Baal. Okay. 
And so you're probably aware that he faced 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. What had happened was Ahab had become king, and Ahab was a bad guy. And even to add to that, he marries a very evil woman named Jezebel who worships Baal. And his evil and godless reign is among the worst of the failing kings in Israel's history. Ahab and Jezebel can't stand Elijah. They call him a troublemaker. And eventually this leads to a life and death confrontation. Who's the real God? Whose prophet is the true prophet? So we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22, where the test is about to take place. Stand please in honor of God's word. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, let them choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there's so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And one commentary said, in the Hebrew it really insinuates, maybe he's at the outhouse. <laughs> so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. When the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sayas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering on the wood. Oh, do it again, he said, and they did it again. Oh, do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you're turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Heavenly Father, speak to us. Let us learn what those people learned that day. You really are God. We really can trust you. You really will help us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, if you'll leave your Bibles open, we'll just kind of scan through the story. In verse 22, Elijah says, I'm the only one. But what he's saying there is, it's all God needs, because God plus one believing person 
is a majority. You ever thought about that? God plus one believing person becomes a majority. One against 450? No. God plus one against 450. In verses 23 to 25, he says, you offer your bull to your God, I'll offer my bull to my God, we'll just call for fire and see what happens. Elijah seems to have no worries at all because he had confidence in the character and faithfulness of God. Catch that. Confidence in the character. God doesn't change. And the faithfulness, he's always faithful of God. In verses 25 to 29, we see the contrast of the prophets of Baal. They're dancing and worshiping and cutting themselves and calling out to their God. But it says in verse 26, no response, no fire. You know what you and I have learned in life experience? If I turn to anything or anybody else for what only God can do, no response, no fire. In verses 30 to 34, Elijah has such confidence in the power of God that he drenches the offering with water. I love it. Get four jars full of water poured on it. Ah, do it again. Ah, do it a third time. Now, you don't have to be a Boy Scout, Boy Scout to realize wet wood doesn't burn, right? Uh, we went on a camping trip, my son and I, and there was a guy selling wood in a neighborhood, and I wasn't paying attention. This wood is stored outside, and it's a little wrapped in plastic, but it had been raining like crazy. So I bought four cords of wood, threw it in the trunk, and we went camping. I couldn't burn wet wood. Huh. I, I used a whole can of Coleman fuel on that stuff. <laughs> you just can't burn wet wood. But God can. We serve a God who can burn wet wood. If you believe that, say amen. amen. What does that mean? That means nothing's too big for God, amen. In verses 36 and 37, Elijah prayed. Now, I, I want you to do so. I need somebody to help me. Who has a second hand on their watch? Anybody? Is it that archaic? Okay, you've got a second hand? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, in just a moment, I'm going to say go, and I want you to time this prayer, okay? Ready? And I'm going to try to pray it. I don't want to try to be real spiritual, but I'm going to try to pray it the way I think maybe that Elijah might have prayed it. Ready? Go. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Okay, how long did that take? 22 seconds. You know what that teaches me? It's not how long, it's not how loud, it's not how spiritual you try to be in prayer. It's just a matter of taking God at his word and believing him and saying, God, here it is. I'm trusting you for it. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad? We have a God who does not ask us to beg him. He asks us to believe him. Wow. Something awesome happened. You know what happened? The fire fell. A 22-second prayer and the fire fell. Hebrew writer, when he was writing about faith, wrote, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Is that your first thought about God? 
You seek me? You know what that means? God says, I'm just waiting to bless you. I love to bless my people. I love to reward faith. I love to bless you when you trust me. Simply put, faith is believing God and acting accordingly. You see, because Elijah believed God was a God who could burn wet wood, he poured water on the wood. And the fire fell and consumed it all. In verse 38, we learn that when we pray and place our trust in God, He answers, He reveals Himself, He always comes through. And then you and I can stand and testify before the world, He is the Lord. He is God. God can be trusted. God will come through. So what does this mean for us? Well, it begs us to ask this question. Are we staying prepared to take and pass the faith test? What will you do? Are you ready to pass the next life's pop quiz? Jesus says to us, fear not. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Somebody tell me what does never mean? Oh, see, Bible college students are smart. What does never mean? Say it again. What does never mean? Never. If you believe it, say amen. amen. But sometimes he feels like he's far away. That's got nothing to do with it. That's called emotions. That's called being human. And that's why faith is based on not what we feel, but what we know. Give me an amen, somebody. Amen. See, we get in trouble when we let our faith be based on what we feel. So are you ready to believe that you'll never face life's trials alone, but that God and you make a majority? The Bible says in Numbers 23, God's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Of course, the answer is no. So are you ready to put your complete trust and confidence in the character, the power, and the faithfulness of God? Are you ready to pray faith-based prayers? Do you believe that God can burn wet wood? In other words, do you believe that God can and will meet your deepest needs? I love James 5.16b in the message. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. And here's one of my favorite verses of all. In Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine... Now think about this. You can't even imagine more than God can do. You can't ask more than God can do. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul would go on to write, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is mightily at work in the hearts and lives of those who believe. You know what that means? Resurrection power, folks. Amen. When you pray, you're calling on the God who not only burns wet wood, but makes dead things come alive. What would happen if we all passed the faith test the next time we're tested? Well, God word, God's Word tells us to rejoice when we're being tested. It says to do it because we know that the benefits of being tested far outweigh the test itself. Paul said, so rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, as a way of life because we believe that the victory is ours even before we see it. So if that is true, 
then the following becomes our testimony. Philippians 4. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Life, death, angels, power. Nah, nah, nothing. Somebody tell me, what does nothing mean? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? So are you ready for life's next pop quiz? We don't know when it'll happen. It'll catch us by surprise. But it won't catch God by surprise. He's already ready to help. He's just standing in the gate, ready to pour out grace. So instead of an altar call this evening, here's what I want to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you and for me. And I want you to come to that place where you can say to God, what you did for Elijah, I believe you can do for me. And even when Elijah faltered in chapter 19, you didn't give up on him. Instead, you restored him back to what gave him the victory in the first place in chapter 18. That's why these two chapters go together. And then when you're ready, I'm going to ask you, and that's okay because God's not bothered by if we don't all say something together at the same time, okay? But after I've closed in prayer, I want you to think for a minute, and when you're ready to say, this is my testimony, I want you to stand and say out loud, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. The old gospel song says, Lord, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. We don't know when the next test will come. But we do know we will not have to take that test in our own strength, nor will we have to face it alone. For you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. You are still the God who burns wet wood. You're still the God of consuming fire. You're always greater than anything that we face. And so, Lord, we know we're going to face these times. And yet, you don't even get upset with us if we get frightened or if we're tired or if we falter. Paul told Timothy, you can't deny yourself. You will always be faithful regardless of what we do. So with putting our trust and confidence in a God with that kind of character and that kind of power and those sweet and precious promises, we ask that you would help us to boldly stand and face life with this testimony. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Lord, there may be some in this room that are really going through it right now. There may be some who've just come out of it and they're just now on the victory side. There may be others who are, well, they're faltering. Regardless, we can say tonight, I will trust the Lord. I don't have to know how. I don't have to know when. I don't even have to know why. I just have to know who. He is our God, our good shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pastures, and he loves us and will meet our every need. And we will trust him for that, whether it's spiritual, financial, emotional, scholastic, 
whatever it is, the God who burns wet wood will take care of it. We believe this with all of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now when you're ready, no music, no begging, no pleading. When you're ready to say, this is my testimony, stand and just say out loud, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And remain standing. Or remain in your wheelchair if you wish. Remain standing. After you've testified, remain standing. Scripture says, and having done all that you know to do, stand. And tonight you and I together are standing by faith. Because we know a faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. Say that with me again. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. But we can trust in the faith we have in God. Because with faith, all things are possible. Jesus said so. Amen? And so I say to you now, go and face life's trials with confidence and expect the fire of God to fall. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.